Graham McCormack, wake, welcome to Fat Man Talking Podcast. How are you, man? Thank you very much. I'm not sure if you got me swearing there, but yeah, thank you. <laughs> laptop was acting up. Yeah, all no, good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. And don't worry, look, we welcome swearing here on this podcast. We, we make sure to put it in the explicit category so no one gets a bit of a fright. I kind of feel like the problem is, especially when I'm speaking to other people from Cork, I tend to swear way more. Like if I, if I have like normal guest on who might be from outside Cork, I keep it really casual. And then like, say last night, I recorded an episode with one of the lads who I just used to work with. And it was just effing and blind in the whole way through. And I'm like, oh, for God's sake, like, what am I doing? It's, uh, it promotes it somehow. But look, uh, thanks so much for coming on. Literally, I'd say this has been the pipeline, what, six months easily? And uh, me delaying it, technical issues, plenty going on to get in the way. Yeah, I was delaying it myself, man. It's just like that in the way as well. But sure, look, we're here. It's meant to be at this moment. 100%. So look, um, as a starting point, could you give us maybe a little background for those who wouldn't know you? Just a little bit about your own story. And obviously, we can go into more details after, but just who you are and what you do day to day. Yeah, so Graham McCormack, life coach, speaker, workshop facilitator, educator, mindfulness teacher, father, man of many hats. Um, to put it down into a category, I'd be in the personal development field. Yeah. Now, I'm in that field for a reason, and obviously we'll touch on that deeper, but just in my own life experience, it's been extremely turbulent from a very young age. And there's been lots of, you know, drugs, alcohol, misuse. There's been suicide attempts, psych ward stays, homelessness, not allowed to see my daughter for obvious reasons, self-harm, you know, anger, over everything. Everything has been there in the mix. And... I've just, I've experienced that side of the coin. I know I'm over the other side of it and I'm driving over the side, you know what I mean? And I try and help as many people as possible to either experience what I'm experiencing or just try and guide them through the process on some level. So that's what I do day to day. Fantastic, man. That's really cool. Uh, one of the things that always stood out to me and it was like the first time you came along, I'd say it was true, probably Instagram I found you initially was just the name, The Real World Buddhist. So where did that actually come from? And I suppose, where does it stem from for you? What does it mean to you? Having a clue. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> uh, the Real World Buddhist, it, the name came to me one day when I was kind of, I had the intentions of spreading my message, my story, everything online. And it just seemed that, you know, like Instagram had, you know, not many people have their own name or whatever. Um, so I just kind of fell on that bandwagon. I was just trying to think of names and think of names. And eventually I just came to the conclusion that, you know, what the best name would probably come from my beliefs or what I've experienced. And what I mean by that is mindfulness had a huge part to play in my recovery in general. Yeah. You know, becoming self-aware, understanding my urges, my triggers, you know, my emotions, my thoughts, everything that comes with Graham. And I, you know, like everything in, in, in Buddhism, right? Mindfulness stems from Buddhism. It's part of the, the Eightfold Path. But all that comes from the East. But I live in the West. And what I like to term it is, the, I live in the real world. I'm not saying Buddhism is a fantasy or anything like that. But I live in the real world. I mean, you walk down a certain street in town, there's needles on the floor. You know what I mean? There's graffiti everywhere. There's, you know, I live in the real world too. So I just thought, you know what? The real world Buddhist sounds pretty, pretty good to me. Sounds pretty and legit. And I just threw it up there. Yeah. Yeah. And then what actually got you started? So like, was it literally you were tracking your own journey just for your own sake? Or did you really want to spread a certain message? Like what actually kicked it all off for you to go from your own recovery to maybe wanting to help others? I think it was, there was, I think it was in around the time a friend of mine had actually ended his life coming into, 
um, it was Christmas 2016. So it was coming into 2017. And I was really, I was on about maybe a year long journey of self-discovery at that point. And it was just for me at that point, I wasn't blogging online, I wasn't doing anything like that. It was just for me in my own journey and trying to get my head straight. And then after my friend Marilyn passed, it just, you know what I mean? I was just like, fuck, here's another kick. You know what I mean? And yeah, you know, now my friend is gone and just everything that came from that. And I really, I just, I remember going to his cremation and just the amount of people that were there that had love for him. I mean, the stories, you know, it's very cliche. It's the same at every funeral, you know, and it is. I mean, we all reflect on, on the person that has passed and we all come up with beautiful stories, but I've been to a lot of funerals and even cremations, but there was so much buzzing around for him. It was crazy. I've never experienced so many stories, laughs and jokes, you know? Yeah. And I just thought like he was so fucking loved. And then I was like, you know, and so is every other person who ends their life. They are so fucking loved. And it just, it just kind of a fire kind of lit within me that day. And I was just like, Do you know what? I'm really going to fucking try my best to put a stop. And that's where it kind of came from. That's where the blogging or whatever term you want to use. I don't call it blogging. I'm not a blogger or whatever. Yeah. I just post real shit online. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's where it came from. And it kind of, it just grew from then. And it was, it was, you know, there's two sides to that kind as well. It was for other people. Um, that was the, my very first intentions were that, to try and help as many people as possible. But I was also getting stuff from it myself. Yeah. You know, I was like, um, it was like online journaling for me, you know, expressing what's going on and again, having that authentic, real touch to it. There's no sugarcoating. I don't think there should be any sugarcoating or bullshit around mental health. I think it should just be said as it is and that's it. So yeah. that's, yeah, it was kind of hitting two sides of the coin there also, yeah. That's great, man. That's great. And I suppose like one one of the things that a lot of people find is that it is a very current issue. It is a very current topic of discussion, but a lot of people aren't very open about their own issues. And I know like myself in the past, I would have gone through, I suppose, certain bouts of depression or certain bouts of anxiety, whatever you want to call them. But I wouldn't have said I would have ever, ever told anyone outside of my inner circle. But for you, what would you say to people who maybe are finding it difficult, not coping? You know, the world's been turned upside down in the past six months we've kind of faced a whole new normal that no one was really expecting. How would you encourage people to maybe deal with those issues to make sure that they're okay? Okay. So first off, we're all experiencing some form of, you know, isolation, loneliness, things are just not the same as they were. Yeah. And that can actually compound. If someone has a mental health challenge or a condition or a disorder, and then you add that on top of it, it just compounds how the person feels, you know? And I think that, you know the phrase, it's okay to not be okay. We all, we all know that, you know. But is it really? There's still people out there who would be judgmental or, you know, judge, judgments only come from a lack of understanding anyway, you know. And it is, there. you're going to find people who are going to judge or kind of not understand or kind of, well, what the fuck is that? Or what are you talking about? But there's a lot more people out there who do understand, who do care, who are willing to listen. And a psychologist said this to me one thing. She said, Graham, people are not mind readers. And I went, I was triggered <laughs> to level 3000. I was like, yeah. fuck you and what the fuck is, you can't say that to me and all this kind of stuff. But on reflection of that, she had a, a great point, And that is that we can't expect for help to come to us. People don't know that we're suffering to the level that we are unless we open up and share about it on some level. Like I walk, you and me walk past each other on the street 
and you have a smile on your face and my face is down. Like, we can only tell so much from body language and expression. You know, we, we genuinely don't know the depths of, I don't know the depths of what you're currently experiencing in your life and you don't, and vice versa, you know, unless you come on and verbalize it on some level. And once you, like, the thing about fear, normally what comes up is fear when people are able to speak about how they feel. They fear being judged. They fear people won't understand. They fear being shamed. But thankfully, we've actually, I feel we have come a long way, you know, even in the last 10 years with regards to mental health. There's more services there, from what I can see. I'm not saying services now from the government down. I'm just saying general services like charities and numbers, and they're all out there. So I think we have come a long way. And I think like due to, you know, well, me and, you know, even you and just people online, people who just tell it like it is in general, you know what I mean? That people can kind of go, the relatability factor comes in and kind of goes, you know what, I'm actually not alone in how I feel. There's more people experiencing this, you know? So it's just a gentle reinforcement that one, you're not broken. Okay, More people are experiencing that. Yeah, Your experience is very valid. If you are suffering right now, that's valid. There's no comparison in suffering. You know, oh, I'm suffering less than that person or I'm suffering more than that person. There's no comparison in suffering. Suffering is suffering. People are not mind readers. You know, you, you cannot wait for someone to come and, you know, sweep you off your feet and hold you and say everything will be okay. We don't live in a world like that. That's where the real world Buddhist comes in. I live in the real world too and I've experienced all of this. Yeah. Help does not come to you. You have to go and seek help. And the good thing about it is that there is services there now. There's definitely a lot more. There's a lot more compassion, understanding, and people who give a shit. 100%, man. I, I suppose from my perspective, one of the, the best things I've found in the past few months, particularly around my own happiness and my own mental health, is actually cultivating daily habits that are going to promote, I suppose, a positive day, promote positive feelings in myself, and you know, creating these just day-to-day small things that kind of make the difference to tip me in the right direction. So daily routine is something I've really looked into and it's something I'm always interested in. So from your own perspective, what's your daily routine look like from say you wake up in the morning is, are there any particular things you do to tip yourself in that right direction? Yeah. So I ran a program on this recently called master your morning. And the main thing about that program was that, you know, we kind of wake up and we just allow life to unfold in front of us. You know, things just come in and life just happens. But I'm not, a, I'm not about that. I'm all for creating your day. And how you do that is you create a routine or a schedule. Like, and you just touched on there, which is absolutely perfect. That sways you, you know, the sways the balance towards you feeling a bit better. That's all. You don't have to feel good. There's yeah. too much pressure we put on ourselves to feel good. If you're feeling fucking massive anxiety and you want to feel good, you can't just go there in the flick of a switch. You have to come down the emotional scale and then work towards the other. So stop trying to feel good and start feeling better. And habits are huge. The good thing about habits is if you do them consistently enough, you don't even have to think about them anymore. They become unconscious. They just happen. 90% of our habits are unconscious. You could be watching a movie and you're after eating away at your finger until you feel pain and you're like, oh my God, I didn't realize I was doing that. It's habitual. You've always done it. You've always put your finger to your mouth and bitten your finger or bit your nail or whatever it may be. 90% of them we're not even aware. So we have habits already. We have a lot of them. We're not even aware of them. But it is about finding out the ones that either don't serve you or are steering you down, let's say, uh, a bad path or whatever it may be with regards to emotions and thoughts and stuff like that. Becoming aware of what's, what's not serving you. 
and then replacing that with something that will. And it's all about self-care. I have a self-care routine. That's my main thing. To give you an example of my daily life, I wake up in the morning. I normally do some form of hypnosis or, or meditation just because I'm in that kind of twilight zone yeah. where I can imprint stuff on my subconscious very quickly. Then I wake up, um, have my breakfast. I'll usually work out, um, possibly some more mindfulness after that or maybe stretching depending on me checking my body and what I feel and my mind. And then after that, it's, it's work for me. It's on the laptop creating ebooks or posting content or sending out emails or whatever it may be. And I just blast away at that for the day. And I just never, I haven't once complained ever of doing that. You know, it's not work for me. I use the term work so people can relate to it a bit quicker in the old mind. Ah, yeah. this person works. I understand what this person does now. But I don't work. I live in my passions. I'm passionate about helping people. It's a big difference in that. So I do that for the day. Now, do I get stressed or do I get overwhelmed? Absolutely. And for me, it's again about checking out myself. And that's where the self-care routine would come in then. If I feel that I am stressed or overly kind of uh, 100 miles an hour, I'll check in myself and see what I need. Do I need to just close the laptop and come away from it completely and go for a walk? A 10-minute mindfulness walk with no earphones in, no nothing, just listening to the sounds and everything else in the present moment? Do I need a bubble bath? Is my body feeling tense? Do I need the foam roll? You know what I mean? Do I need to just close everything with regards to work? and try on Netflix and just binge because I want to, you know, or do I sit down and do absolutely nothing? You know, they're all small little go-tos that I have. Yeah. And then at night, it's the same thing. I'll either just I'll watch Netflix. I always watch Netflix at night. I'm a, a balance man. You know what I mean? Yeah, work, 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 play, play, play. You have to have that as well. But then possibly, depending on, on how I feel that night, maybe another meditation just before bed or a little hypnosis or whatever. Yeah, just to finish the day off, right? Fantastic, man. And touch base with me a little bit on, say, fitness and nutrition. How much do they play an impact on your mood and your daily routine? Are they something that are just a small part of it or do you feel they're a bit more important? I know from my own perspective, I wouldn't be a guy who'd be massively into working out necessarily every day, but hitting the gym a few times a week, getting some fresh air and going for a walk. It's crazy how much that'll flip the script on your mood for the day and actually leaving the indoors, leaving your laptop and just actually experiencing the world just makes a massive difference to me. How do you kind of approach that side of your life then? Yes, like, same as you. It, it's absolutely huge. I know that if I do not work out, and I'm not these one of these people now that, like, I have to work out, I have to work out, or I don't feel right. I'm not like that. Again, I'll kind of check in with myself. I don't work out every day. That's kind of the day that I've just given you there, that example. It, it's just an example. I don't work out every day. I don't meditate twice a day every day either. My day kind of fluctuates, you know, depending on how I feel, checking in with myself. But in general, Exercise is normally a non-negotiable. Like, I'll give myself a bit of flexibility and a, and a bit of leeway here and there. You know, if I'm kind of if I have a deadline for you know to finish an ebook or something like that, I'll just leave it off because I have to prioritize and that's fine. But the thing is, it's fine and I'm okay with that. You know what I mean? Whereas before, if I didn't work out, I'd freak out. I'd go, oh my god, I'm falling down a hole here again. I'm going to go back to myself. I have to work out and all these pressure statements would just flood my mind and I wouldn't take action on it. I still wouldn't work out. I'd sit there with the thoughts and the inner critic giving out to me and I'd just basically feel what's called suffering. I'd just be suffering from it. But everything has changed now. It is a non-negotiable to a point. You know what I mean? If there's a deadline for something else or I have to do something for someone, it just gets prioritised. But I'd never go less than four days a week, three possibly, without working yeah. out. 
you know. I, mean, I suppose you, you probably gauge it a lot by how you're feeling and the schedule and everything else. It's not just, and I, I suppose, what's the best way to put it? It's not mandatory, but you know it's needed. So you, you make it fit in when you can. Yeah, it's, it's like the masks. You know, it's a, it's a guideline. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's mandatory now, but yeah, it depends. Yeah. So it is just, you know, it's, it's all to do with mindfulness and, and self-inquiry. And that's what I mean by checking in with myself. You know, you don't have to sit down and put in an earphone and you know, cross your legs to do mindfulness. You just, the good thing about mindfulness is that there's two, two sections of it. So one is formal. That would be where you sit down and turn the earphones and you consciously put time aside to practice mindfulness. The other is called informal. And that's, for me, is mindfulness on the go. That's where you're kind of driving the car or you're with friends, you know, mindfully listening to them or whatever it may be. It's just mindfulness on the go. And I use a lot of that, especially with work or whatever you call it again. You know, just checking in with myself. How do I feel right now? What emotion am I feeling? You know, am I okay with this? And again, if I'm becoming overwhelmed or stressed, I'll just act opposite. I'll act opposite to how I'm feeling. Income self-care. Now I need to relax. You know, and that's okay. So I'm always using informal mindfulness that way. But definitely how I'm feeling completely dictates my daily routine normally. Fair enough, man. Fair enough. One of the things I suppose that really stands out to me about yourself is you're very cool, calm, collective in the way you speak. You know, you seem like everything is very thought out. You seem like you really approach everything in a very pragmatic manner. But how does that contrast to maybe, if you want to call it the old Graham or Graham before recovery? Like, what kind of guy were you before you kind of discovered this part of yourself? That is a really good question. I'm really glad you asked that. I was only in a hotel, I think it was maybe about two years ago, and I had this moment of awareness. And what I noticed was that I was in a hotel that I was in six, seven years ago. But there was two different experiences that I had. Now, the one two years ago, I was in there coach I'm a life coach I was coaching a client so I was in my you know my shirt my slacks and just professional realm you know what I mean that's what I do so I sat down with them and didn't observe any kind of people you know working in the hotel kind of looking at me as to say what are you doing here or you know or why is this person you know because that's what I would get and I had a moment of awareness there I was like you know what I actually feel accepted now whereas before I didn't like if I walked into a hotel like I'd, I'm not being smart. Do you know what I mean? We're both from Cork, from Cork City. I'd walk in a night tracksuit, pair of night runners, you know, my hair gelled down, you know what I mean? Just probably hung over or coming down and I'd more likely be up to no good. You know what I mean? You wouldn't see me in a hotel. Why would I be in a hotel? Zero. And it's always the same, you know, going into shops and stuff like that and just generally just being followed around by security and, you know, just, I just, I had this complete different energy about me and, and, and aura and everything else and, definitely there's there's massive contrast there the person you're seeing and speaking to and hearing right now is is i believe this is who i truly am i used to say you know for the person that i am now that i went back to the old me and what i mean by that is this was me when i was really young before all the shit hit the fan yeah and when the shit hit the fan i turned into this person where the ego came up where i felt that i had to defend myself in life and if that meant, you know, having a few drinks and punching someone in the face for no reason, then so be it. You know, that's just, that's just how I was. I just felt the world was out to get me. I felt that my world inside of me was falling apart. I was trying to suppress everything that I was feeling with alcohol and drugs. 
and I just had a chip on my shoulder constantly. It was just, you know the song, Tupac, Me Against the World? That was my anthem. <laughs> that was my anthem at the time, yeah. That's fair, that's yeah. fair. I, I, I just, I find it crazy that, I mean, we could all know the side of a person for years and years, and what I always, I suppose, would put it back to, say, someone you knew in school, and you knew the way they were in school, you knew everything about them in that sense, and then you might meet them 10 years later, and it's this stark contrast of it's, it's almost like life has completely flipped them around and they might've gone from the nicest guy to the grumpiest guy, or they might've gone from the grumpiest guy in school to suddenly the calmest person you'd meet. But the years and years as I suppose life perspective changes, we all aren't the same person we used to be. And a lot of people can't always see that. Uh, now, particularly the reason I'm bringing that up is the people you surround yourself with kind of come into that a lot. And from your perspective of the people you used to associate with and maybe the world of drugs or alcohol or partying or maybe even just getting into fights in town, are those people still around in your life now? Or did you have to kind of, I suppose, become accountable to who you're surrounding yourself with and who was impacting your recovery? Yeah, so like some of them are still around and yeah. some of them are my closest friends. You know what I mean? Um, I don't judge them. I don't, you know, I don't try and control them or tell them what to do. Yeah. Who am I to do that? You know what I mean? I lost my ego a long time ago. If I turned into the Graham I am now and then suddenly I'm, you know, I'm telling people how, how to be and all that, then that's still ego that I haven't transformed that much. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I have about a handful of friends that I would, that I love. I love them. I love them dearly. You know what I mean? Um, the majority of people, I, I just had to distance myself and I done it gladly. Um, when you're in the world of, of, of chaos, there's a lot of people that you meet that are just not nice people, you know, and it's, you know, that in turn in turns, you know, makes you this person that isn't nice either because you feel you have to match that on some level, you know, the ego coming up again. But there, there is a lot of people that I, I distance myself from. Some of them, you know, the majority of them, I, I gladly done it. Some of them, I kind of didn't want to, yeah. um, but it was definitely for my greater good. And I, and I know that now, and I'm glad that I, take, I took that action. You know, that you are, I tell my daughters, and my daughter's 12. I tell her all the time, you know, you become who you hang around with. And it's true because we literally, we just soak up everything from, you know, from an experience in general. I mean, you walk into a room, you don't even have to say anything. No one does. And there's people in there and you know, you're not welcome. You know what I mean? That's what I got all the time. Be a group of people. I walk into a house party at four o'clock in the morning and then people are just like, you know, who the fuck are you? What do you want? And all this. And, you know, just before they even say that, I knew I wasn't welcome. And what I mean by that is we just soak up everything from people that were around, all the experiences. You know, like even in my life coaching course, that it, it's, it's called mirroring. It has to do with body language. So if a client is, you know, let's say distressed and they're kind of, they're just, their hands are going 90, you know what I mean? Which is fine. That's valid. They're experiencing that. But I have to match that. I can't be sitting there, you know, all prim and proper while they're going through distress. So we just, we mirror people through body language, we expose ourselves to them and we pick up on what they're feeling. You know, even the words they say, their, their behaviours, there's a thing called learned behaviours, as we all know. You know, that's, it all comes from that. And you absolutely become who you hang around with. And the more that I distance myself from people like that, I started to come back to the old me, the person that I was, the person that I truly am. I don't feel faults, you know what I mean? I don't feel false in this moment. I don't feel false ever really because I know and I'm okay that this is the true me. This is who I am. This is what I'm destined to be. This is the life that I'm supposed to live, you know? Yeah. 
And in terms of your day-to-day life now, are you someone who's, I suppose, completely sober? How, like, what's sobriety to you? And I suppose, how do you approach those types of habits around nights out? I suppose, you know, a lot of things that people rely on for drinking drugs for, the nights out, the hanging out with people. What's that look like for you these days? Is, is it in any way important? Does it even come into it? Not really. I knew when I was using that I was chasing a high that I'd never get. I was chasing a feeling or an experience that I'd never get. And the definition of madness is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. It doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. And I was doing that for years on end. I mean years, from 11 to 27. Like, just constant. And I never found that. And when I kind of came to the awareness of, I just had a question. It was like, will I ever find this place that I'm chasing after? And the answer is no, you won't, you know. Um, some people are fine. Some people can drink and and take drugs and and they're fine they just go about their daily life and that's cool me it was absolute chaos I completely fell apart I ruined everyone around me I destroyed relationships that were good for me I just I just my entire world fell apart due to it um so for me now it's just I live a very kind of simple humble you know joyful life you know and these are all big fancy words but put it short I'm I'm just good (laughs) you know what I mean I just am and I don't go out unless I need to or I want to like a a celebration or a party or something like that but even at that I just leave early because people just ramble after too many pints and again I'm not judging them it's just what happens when you drink too many pints you know what I mean people start rambling repeating and I I just kind of go I'm just going to head off I say it to myself I don't say it to them you know what I mean I'm not going to be like I'm leaving out because you're chatting shit I'm not like that. I just go. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I just live quiet life, happy life. Fantastic. Good life. Yeah. It, it is funny because it, it actually, what you were saying there, it kind of reminds you, a good friend of mine, Paul Dermody, he says a lot of the time, nothing good after, nothing good happens after midnight. And that's how he kind of approaches yeah. everything. And, it, and it's not that nothing good can happen, but in general, if you're sitting in the pub from nine o'clock or you're sitting at an event from nine o'clock, once it gets past 12, people are getting a bit messy. And if you're not the person drinking or you're not the person in the ticket of party, it's very, there's very lots that your night's going to improve from that point on. And sometimes it's better to be accountable to just go home and relax. That's a great phrase, man. Yeah, that's brilliant. He's spot on. And you're right there as well. Look, it's not for everyone. You know what I mean? Not everyone has madness after in midnight. But unfortunately, and in my own experience, the majority of people drinking drugs just don't sip them. And I think a lot of them are in denial about it, you know? But again, that's just a thought of mine, you know? And it's yeah. an assumption on my end, but it's just my observation from what I can see, you know, from being around it for so long, 17 years that. of my life, you know? I think um, though perspective is a, is a massive thing in that. And I think you, you as well, like when you're approaching things from a sober point of view, like myself, I, I'm not a huge drinker. And so compared to when I was younger, maybe when I was in college or school and I'd be drinking quite heavily, you see different sides of people when you're not the one drinking with them. And it's not that you see it as a negative or that you're judging them, but it's the fact of you can see that they might be better off if they, you know, were a little held back a little, or maybe didn't go so full on into a night out. But look, I think everyone has that discovery of what their balance is, what their happiness is and what's good for them in life. So, you know, you can't really take that judgment onto them at the same time. Yeah, now, absolutely. Look, man, one of the things I definitely want to touch base with you on, and I, I know you have a hard stop in a, in a few minutes, so I, I said I'd have to kind no, of squeeze you're it in there straight away. You're but good. You're is good. life coaching. It's like, look, I'm going to be honest, for a lot of people, it might epitomize 
notions or it might epitomize this kind of newfound concept. I know myself that I have a coach and he's, he's not just fitness. He teaches me about mindset and week on week, we build on good habits and it, it makes a huge difference. So mm-hmm. you tell me a little bit for maybe the skeptics out there or people who don't understand it, what's involved in life coaching and how do you approach things with your clients? Yeah. So I, I get what you're saying. And I thought the same when I first heard of it, it's very, it seems to be like, it comes from America anyway, right? It's, it's very, it is very Americanized. And my definition of Americanized is kind of like fantasy or la la land, right? But my definition has changed because I dropped the judgment. I allowed myself to experience the course and it was life-changing, you know, the, to become certified as a life coach. Like life coaching is, it's a bit different than usual kind of one-to-one encounters. It's not counseling. It's not therapy. It's not drugs counseling. It's not marriage counseling. It's nothing like that. Certainly not psychology or psychiatry. I don't deal with mental health, mental health specific challenges. I have heaps of life experience with it. But I still don't go there because it's a very specific field. It's very, you know, you could say the wrong thing to someone and, you know, it could end disastrously. Or you could just compound their suffering you know, by one word. So absolutely not going to go there. And I say that straight off the bat. If someone's coming on with me for a life coaching call, I say it straight off the bat. I'm not a counselor, not a therapist, nothing like that. A life coach. So coaching is the difference between coaching and let's say counseling, right? So counseling would be past, present focused. So what that means is, you know, what's gone on for you in the past and how is it affecting you now? A life coach won't go to your past. They don't, you know, they don't care about your traumas or anything like that. They're not going to bring them up and re-traumatize you, which can happen some people. Um, not everyone, but some. They're not going to go there. So life coaching is present, future-focused. So what's going on for you right now and where do you want to be? So where do you want to be? That question kind of brings up the fact that it's all around goal setting. What do you want to achieve? You know, what are your heart's desires? What are you longing for? you know, to to get to move into a house, you know, to start your own business, to lose weight, to just have a better relationship. What are you, what are your goals? What do you, what goals do you want to set? Some clients will come on once they understand it's about goal setting and they'll go, well, I I don't know. And I'd like to say that's absolutely fine. That's what I'm here for, (laughs) you know, and then we'll go through the areas of life that you can set goals. And there's a call, it's called the goals wheel. Have you, have you seen that or heard of that? Yeah, one of my managers in work actually used to do with that as more on a sales point of view, but I, yeah. I know what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, so for anyone who doesn't, the goals wheel is just a wheel like this, and then there's an inner circle, and then the circle starts to get smaller. And what I mean by that is there's a dot in the middle, and then all the way out here, and all the way out here, it starts from zero to 10 either side. So then what happens is all the areas of life you can set goals in, like relationships, career, finances, you know, all the areas that are there, you shade in from the inside zero out to 10 with how satisfied you are with that area. And then once you have all the areas filled out, you look at it and it just, it's clear as day. Whichever one has the least amount of satisfaction level, that's normally the area that we go to. It could be, you know, let's say relationship, not satisfied with my relationship. Okay, then what would you like to do with your relationship? What are your goals in that? You know, and then we'll kind of go, we'll just start chatting a bit more. And coaching is all about powerful questions. You know, it's not about me giving advice 
or you should really end that relationship, you'll be far better. It's for your greater good. It's, that's not how coaching works. It's all about questions. And when you ask someone a question, they have to think about the answer. So the answers come up in their mind. I cannot change someone's life. I've had so many clients come to me say, Graham, thank you so much. You've changed my life. And I go, no, I didn't. You did. And that's the fact of it. You know, so it's all about goal setting, present, future focused, picking out certain areas that you're dissatisfied with and getting to work on them in a major level. For some people, you know, this is only a kind of a, uh, I suppose, this just comes from my own mind and it would come from anyone's mind. But some people have like smaller goals, just the smaller, and other people have like huge goals. But again, there's no real comparison because a small goal to one person may be huge to them. And then if they think about, if that's a relationship goal, they think about a business goal, they're like, that's a small goal. So everyone's goals are very valid. I can't tell them what goals to have. So it's all about guiding them through that process of achieving. Very good, man. Very good. And like, I suppose one of the things I'm kind of curious about is then day to day, are you, are you calling these people once a week? Are you touching base with them by text, email? Like what's involved in that level of it? What's the level of communication? What's the level of, do you get a set of weekly tasks? Is a person to person? How does that vary? Yeah, so it's you come online with me. Everything is just it's it, it's online at the minute. It always was anyway, but I've really kind of moved more into the online space now. Um, so it's one forty-five minute call with me a week over Zoom, and it's not like and I know this because I know some life coaches. It's not like one forty-five minute call and see you later. Talk to you next week that's absolutely pointless. In my life coaching course, they said, you know, you should never cross the boundary between client and coach, you know, but 90% of my clients are now friends of mine because I do cross that boundary and I do believe going in there with them. Not too deep. They have to do the work themselves. But in between sessions, there is kind of calls. I ask them to keep me updated, send me a paragraph every, you know, a paragraph, an update paragraph every one or two days or two or three days you know, depending on their life experience and what comes up for them, just to give me an idea of how they're getting on. And if they're having a challenge in that moment and I'm online, I'll reply to them straight away and we'll try and work through it. Free of charge, you know, whatever. But I just want, I just cross that boundary. Yeah, you, know? you, just, and then you just want the best from, time really then. Yeah, look, a lot of coaches will say it, but I genuinely give a shit. And I do. And for me, with, like lengths of programs. I don't do one-off sessions. Um, I just feel it's pointless sometimes, you know, for some people. Um, for others, it's fine, but I just believe in more kind of long-term progress. Not long-term, but one, two or three-month programs is what I run. Like one month in, people are kind of going, shit, you know, and kind of getting the ball rolling here. And then two months is like, Fuck, what can I do next? And then three months is they're just away for slates. And I always say to them, and I say to every client, I, look, it's bad for business, right? Because, and I'm going to say that because a lot of people are scared to talk about money, right? As if it's this bad thing. But it's bad for business for me to say this to my clients. I don't want you to come back to me. I want you to have enough skills that you can use yourself when I'm not there. And if you come back to me, I might take that as I'm a bad coach. So I want to educate them. It's not just coaching once a week and a couple of messages. I want to educate them. I want to give them life skills. I send them, you know, it's not just a call again, as I say, you know, after the call, if whatever comes up in the session, I could send them an article or an ebook that I've written or, you know, 
here's what I think of on this topic. Here's this person's perspective too. Make up your own. You know what I mean? So it's just constant trying to educate them and give them the skills that are needed. And they're, they're needed. Yeah. And look, from your own perspective, you know, you're, you're working with all these people and you're talking through their goals, their day-to-day. What about yourself? Like, what's on the cards for you in terms of goal setting and how do you approach that? Shit, that's a big question, Shane. <laughs> nah. I have, I'm going through a bit of a transition at the minute in my career. So it's not that I'm moving away from coaching. I'm just taking limited, limited clients at the minute. Okay. And I'm moving more kind of like literally I've authored three eBooks in the space of two weeks. There's, I'll give you a sneak peek. One is already on sale and it's about goal setting. 10 steps to effective goal setting. The second one is, this is an exclusive now, right? For the talking podcast, right? The second one is called a checkup from the neck up and it's a mental health and well-being manual. Okay. So lots of self-care, lots of kind of checking in with yourself, you know, what we talked about at the beginning there. Yeah. And the third one is, if it fits your macros, the foodie shred, just admit you're a foodie and get the body that you want. So that's a book about my weight loss, about six and a half stone in nine months. So just what I use, if if it fits your macros, um, that's coming up as well. So again, no one knows about this. Literally, you're the first person I told. So I appreciate that. Appreciate that. Yeah, my pleasure. So yeah, just kind of moving into more kind of, Becoming an educator as well as a coach, you know, I love talking, man. I just, I talk all day long. You know, I still have my, my corporate talks. Um, hoping to get kind of back into schools, but some schools are a bit iffy at the minute about having people in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just continuing that and yeah, I'll see where that takes me. But I suppose the transition itself, like that's when I'm kind of going into more education and my kind of more talks and everything else. But I've, Recently coached eight people through a skydive. I saw that. That that seemed very, very cool. It was fucking unbelievable. Though. And you did it yourself as well, didn't you? Yeah, I did it, yeah, of course. Like, you can't organize it and lead it and then not jump. Yeah. So I was like, I got the first call and all this. So I was like, fuck it, let's go. But um, yeah, so I coached them through six weeks of coaching, group coaching. There was eight of us on a call every Monday at 9 p.m. Just chatting out, you know, setting tasks for them on a week-to-week basis like visualizations you know visualizing the day being okay whatever feelings come up even though they're sitting on their bed doing it and it's six weeks out it's the same thing your mind doesn't know what's real or what's not it just you're give, you give it an image and it's like oh my god you know that's where fight or flight comes from so you could be sitting there watching your tv but you're not you're in your head thinking about worst case scenario and then you fight or flight on the couch and it feels fucking horrible yeah. even though you should be present watching the tv that's all you're doing in this moment so Lots of that, lots of visualizations, lots of mindfulness, lots of, you know, good crack, dancing and stuff like that were a couple of things. And then we jumped and it was absolutely amazing. It was definitely the craziest experience I've had in my life yet. And I got such a buzz from it that I think I'm going to go all out and just create a company or a business that just brings people across the world to do crazy shit. So, yeah. And yeah. Were you, were you always with that mentality, like adrenaline junkie or like, I suppose that's probably a, a very extreme term for what you've done, but as in, there's a certain type of person that's able to do <laughs> I, stuff like that. I can, I can, I don't think I I can say one. this. Sorry. I said me, I don't think I am one in terms of being able, not being able to do that, but wanting necessarily to have that thrill. But I mean, is that always some way you've been inclined or is this new to you altogether? 
sorry for interrupting us. I just was laughing and I was like, do you know what? I'll just say it. And I'm the only one that can say it because I'm talking about myself here, but I went from a junkie to an adrenaline junkie. <laughs> <laughs> I went from one to the other. And no, I was never like this. I was crippled with fear around flying. And that's the whole, that was not the whole point. It was a major point for me on my end to get through that fear. And I did. And hand on my heart, I, I'll never be afraid to get on a plane again. I completely smashed through that fear, you know. And I was never like that. I was always, you know, even at a young age, very anxious to go in town. I wouldn't go in town at all in Cork City because I'd just be too nervous. And, you know, they'd get beaten up or, you know, even though there was no evidence for it, you know. But still, it was there. It was present. It was horrible. I didn't want to do anything, you know. And the thing about fear is that it, it freezes you. Anxiety is fight or flight. Fear freezes you. That's why everyone, a lot of people nowadays are very anxious as opposed to fearful. You know, um, obviously with COVID not coming, it's it's a bit different. But a lot of people are more anxious than fearful, because if fear was still around, we'd be eaten. Because <laughs> in primal times, if there was a saber tooth tiger there and you had fight, flight, or freeze, you're not going to go to freeze because you know you get eaten. Your brain will send the chemicals to give you that rush. You can either fight or flight. But it's still around on some level, not majorly. You know. Um, but it's certain things like that I just had a massive fear itself not anxious fear around flying I would just freeze up and say not a hole no not doing it no way and I was always afraid of it and then just doing this I'm like Jesus Christ what can I do with my life now you know it's just I'm just so glad it happened I really am you know and I'm so glad for everyone that took part in it as well the buzz that everyone got from it i'm going to do it again this is another exclusive jesus christ they're all flying up dropping them um, out. thank god for yeah them. yeah but yeah so going to do it again just depending it's getting closer to the end of the year i'm not sure the weather will be appropriate but who knows maybe the start of next year but it definitely will happen again yeah and how, how did your clients fi- find it like were they all in a similar mindset of a fear of flying or was it a variation of goals they had and this was just a culmination at the end did as expected, they were all individual. They were all kind of, you know, a couple of them were afraid. Um, one of the clients was trying to prepare himself for it. This wasn't a task that I had given or anything like that. But he jumped off a wall um, into the ocean, somewhere down West Cork or something like that. And he was, you know, he was proud of himself for doing that. You know, yeah. like for someone to judge, then that could be like jumping off a wall. He jumped about four foot into the water. But it's not four foot. It feels like 40 foot to him, you know? So people, you know, there was a couple of them like that had major fears around heights or planes. The rest of them were just kind of never experienced it. And as natural fear would come up. And then, you know, no matter how you're feeling towards it, fear came up for everyone, me included. You know, so, um, yeah, it was very individual, but I suppose not necessarily that way either. Everyone felt some bit of fear. Intensities varied, but yeah. And then say afterwards what like was that literally the last day of the course or did it kind of continue on after that like while we're like I, the, what i'm trying to get to the point of really i suppose in my own head is like what were these people feeling after was it suddenly like this massive high and then oh, i'm done the course what am i doing next or is there kind of like a, an after plan yeah so before so i suppose we'll start with on the day so the day was the last day of it the actual skydive the jump day yeah so we got there and people were like, you know, when their name got called, they were like, oh, Jesus Christ. 
you know, and then they'd go, and then they'd land and they'd go, Jesus Christ. It was just two different, you know, perspectives and feeling states. But that was supposed to be the last day. But I just couldn't leave it at that. So the following, not the following Monday, the Monday after that, just Monday just gone, we had a call, a group call. And I just got on and we all had the crack and banter. And it was kind of like, I'm not really on here as your coach kind of a thing. Yeah. But then at the very end, I was, and I was just asking them what they're doing next. What are their plans? You know, what are their goals? And a lot of them were, you know, about, it was eight on it. I'd say about five, six said they'd do it again with me. They got such a feeling from it. So the other three were like, one person out of that tree was like, I'm going to go abroad and do it higher. And I was like, do it, go for it, you know? So on the day, it was kind of like a mixture of emotions. Then there was kind of a high for a couple of days from most of them. And then they kind of just kind of came back down, which is normal. And then they were like, what's next? So I was like, let's hop on a call on Monday. Let's do it. Let's have a group meeting again. Unreal. And then just, huh? Oh no, I just said that's unreal. Oh yeah. And then just, yeah, just, on there for the chats, the banter, the crack, and then kind of coach them through it and just kind of got them thinking about what's next for them. And it's down then to them to take action on it. Awesome, man. Awesome. That, I'm going to actually keep an eye for that course because that actually yeah. does sound like something I'd love to do. Much yeah. as God knows my fear of heights may get in the way, but we'll see. Uh, look, man, it's been, it's been great chatting today and I really appreciate you coming on. But for anyone who's looking to find you online, looking for coaching services, looking to get their hands on those eBooks, where can they find you? Yeah, so online, you could currently getting a website built. A bit lackadaisy with the website, but you can contact me personally on Instagram, on The Real World Buddhist. You can contact me on Facebook under Graham McCormack, my own name. Um, and there, normally I have the links for ebooks and courses. And yeah. I'm in the middle of building a course at the minute, so I'm not going to tell you what that is, though. I've given you enough now. Ah, yeah. There's plenty. There's, <laughs> plenty. Be, there's time for other podcasts. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, there's more. I'll be on again. Um, but yeah, just yeah, Facebook or Instagram at the minute. I normally have the links on there for kind of the website for the ebooks and online courses. Fantastic, Graham. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, everyone. Go give him a follow, check out his stuff. He's a great resource online and really helpful just on a daily basis. Graham, thanks so much. Jane, thank you.